Hi everybody, I'm T. I'm Ria. I'm Sen. And we are Avagazi Scoop. So we're mothers who like to get together at the end of the week, um, most weeks, and just talk about um, what's happened during the week, have a good event, and have a good gossip session. Um, but also what makes us unique is the fact that we see life through two perspectives, two lenses. Um, the Balangi European lens and also the Pacifica Samoan lens. We also like to discuss um, taboo stuff, stuff that our cultures don't like to talk about. And we absolutely love doing that with wine. A lot of laughs and a lot of, a lot of fighting because some people are jealous. Um, so yeah, so that's us. So have a listen. You can find us on Anchor and uh, Spotify. And also check us out on the www.wizwiznet.com and our Facebook and Insta pages. We'll see you soon. Yo, what's up everybody? Welcome to another episode of Empty Out The Clip, part of the Wish West Network, brought to you by wishwestnet.com. My name is Cams, and check out my other podcast with also Isaiah, back at the 135, on YouTube and all podcast platforms. Today, on Empty Out The Clip, I have two guests. My first guest is Stace from the Counter-Rock podcast. Our rugby union podcast in the network. So we talk about the NRL and Moana Pacifica. So Stacey's a big New Zealand Warriors fan. So we talk about his team and their loss to the Melbourne Storm in the weekend. And then we dive into some Moana Pacifica talk. The announcement that the team will be included in the 2022 Super Rugby competition along with Fiji Jura. So have a listen. And then after Stace, I have the lovely Rhea Rains from the Africa Scoop podcast. We talk about the Netflix documentary called Why Did You Kill Me? So there's spoiler alerts and all of that. So all that coming up right now on Empty Out The Clip. Let's Five, go. Four, three, two, one. You are now listening to Empty Out The Clip. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Empty Out the Clip. I'm your host, Cams, I'm co host of the Back of the 135, and with me tonight, I got one of the whistles from my other podcast, The Counter Rock, our rugby union podcast. Stacey, what's up, man? How's it going? Yeah, mate, what's up, brother? Thanks for having me on Empty Out the Clip again. I always love being part of that podcast, so yeah, ready to go. And I know why, because you know, Empty Out the Clip, this is a platform that we get to come out here and just say what we want to say. There's no, no rules, no boundaries. It's mm-hmm. different to our other podcasts. This is our chance to just let loose on our ideas without worrying about the outside world. You know. Yeah. <laughs> I should have. I should have had a couple of uh, beers before I jumped on. Then I would really oh. empty out the clip. Oh, you you, you can empty it yeah. out for both of us. Yeah, I'm having. <laughs> I'm having. Uh, should this be a sponsor? Panhead, APA. Nice sponsor for tonight. Fancy stuff. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so I invited you on this podcast, bro, to talk about two topics I have had in mind today. Yep. Obviously, the big one in in rugby union circles, the Moana Pacifica team that was announced last week. Mm-hmm. And 
I know you're a big number one. You're you're number one New Zealand Warriors fan in the NRL. <laughs> so yeah. I wanted you to come in and just tell me what what went what went wrong in the weekend with the with the Warriors up against the the Melbourne Storm. But um, yeah, man. So I think we'll start with that topic, the NRL. So in the weekend, after a very sad game, the Blues <laughs> against the Crusaders. Just want to erase that out of my mind right now. Mm, um, mm, for sure. <laughs> but unlike you, I had a good opportunity to watch my team in the NRL, the Manly Seagulls. Just win by, what, 20 points? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's good, eh? You know, it's always hard. Like, if you watch both rugby and league, if you are, both your teams lose, it's always hard for me with the Warriors. They lost basically back-to-back. Blues lost, and then the Warriors came on straight after that, and bloody lost again. And I was like, ah, oh, fucking useless. Both those teams, man, disappointing. But, yeah, at least you got a win, so that's good for you, Seagulls. It was good for me. I was suffering this whole season, following my Blues team just fall apart after that bye. Because, yeah. you know, it all happened after that bye. They haven't won a game since. So it was good to turn the channel and watch my Seagulls grab a win. You know, it's, it's funny because <laughs> that was our second game we won all, all, all season. And only because Tommy Turbo is back from injury. And, and that, that's been the, the narrative for, the, for my Manly Seagulls. That one man can come from injury, come into the team and turn things around just like that. I mean, shit, that's unheard of, right? How can yeah. one man come in and change the whole thing, whole landscape? Yeah, I was shocked. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I don't know how important he is. I hope RTS does that for the Blues next year. I really hope that's the case. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so too. I don't, I don't know if um, you know it'll be a big ask for him to come from, from uh, you know, basically been playing league for the last sort of seven, eight years. So it's going to be a big ask for him. But I do. I hope they're not looking at him like the saviour because that's going to be too much for a guy to change codes and then try to change the fortunes of the team at the same time. But, mm, yeah, it's going to be a good move. I think the Blues, they need something. And we talked about it before. You know, the the forwards were doing a good job in that game and basically throughout the whole season. Properly, the loose forwards, uh, Hoskins has been good. Um, the locks have been doing well. Some of the backs need to step up. They've made some poor decisions and all the rest of it. So maybe ITS can add something on that front and, and we'll see how that goes. But it's another season for the Blues and another, oh, next year will be better <laughs> fucking at the end of the season <laughs> saying those, no, no, we'll be back next year. Bloody talking about it already. So it's a frustrating team to support. And, you know, Warriors ain't much better in either. So, yeah, tough times ahead. No, I just hope, I hope ITS comes in and and changes things around, just like Tommy Turbo did with the Manny Seagulls. But anyway, we'll talk about, about the New Zealand Warriors and, and their game in the weekend with the Melbourne Storm, which geared up to be one of the one of the classic games for Anzac Day. I wouldn't say it was a disappointing loss for the Warriors. I wouldn't say that. Because they got to try out their new signing, uh, Reese Lightning. Reese Lightning, yeah, we're going with the Reese Lightning, for sure, yep. Reese Walsh, from first time we heard of this guy was from Luppy Mariner when he jumped on the back of the 135 podcast. And sort of mm, told us about mm. him. So it was interesting that he got signed to the Warriors. And because of the injuries, huh? Is that why they put him on? They, they put him yeah. on that game? Yeah, so um, Peter Hiku, he's, he's out. So they had some real massive depth in the outside backs. Ewan Aitken, 
who's the other centre, he's out. Uh, David Fusitor was out. So that's uh, Adam Pompey as well. So that's, you know, four of the sort of front line outside backs are out. And then um, Hayes Perham, who was the other outside back they had there, he got an early release to go and play for the Eels. So it was almost like Reese Walsh, even though he just arrived, they had run out of guys to pick. So, um, you know, he got his opportunity and you have to give him some credit. He looked... He's 18, so he's still a little bit raw, but you got he looked like he could provide some spark and attack. I'll say that, so I was pretty happy with that. For a debut game, he had all the confidence in the world. He was happy to throw those long passes on the first, kicking on the first. He was just going for it, so you know that youthful exuberance was um, was something positive that I saw from Reese Walsh, Reese Lightning, as we call him. Yep. Mm. How did you feel when you saw the lineup before the game? Like you saw, you would have saw that. That Tuivas Shek was on the wing. How did, yeah. how, did that, how, did, how did you feel when you when, when you saw that? I was a bit unsure about it. I even now after watching the game, I'm not sure how if that was the right move. I understand why they wanted to get Reese Walsh in. Um, he's basically the future fullback of the club. But I don't know if Roger on the wing is was the best move. I think he got exposed a little bit on defense. He hasn't played there since 2014. I heard. Um, after the game, but he's such a critical part. He's probably the best player they got still. So I would have kept him at fullback or kept him at um, six and try and keep him in the spine, try and keep him involved. So I know they named the team uh, just earlier today for this week's game, and Rogers back to fullback and Reese Walsh is in at, at standoff this time, 5'8. So I think they're looking at ways to get them both involved. So I, I don't like that move on the wing this week, and I think they've got it right this week with Roger at the back. Mm. Yep. Mm. Yep. They had a number of injuries as well, eh? Like, um, yeah. Toru Harris was out. Who's the other guy? Um, Fuzitor was out as well. Yeah. Um, Chanel Harris Tavita, who's the, one of the regular halves, he's out. So they've got some, some, uh, quite a uh, few injuries to the, uh, some crucial guys, but Reese Walsh, yeah, he looks, he looks the good. So I think he's going to be good. But, uh, mate, that Storm game, oh, mate, that was such a disappointing game. I think I'm just pulling up the scores now. So 42 to 20, that's quite a comfortable comfortable win. And, you know, on Anzac Day, such a special occasion for New Zealanders as well. I would hope for a better performance from the Warriors. But that's probably, if I'm being honest, and I, I, I'm really biased, that that's probably where the Warriors are realistically at. And I just don't think that they're, they're sort of like the NRL seems to be split into two competitions almost. So you've got like a top sort of four or five teams. And then there's all these, the rest are sort of competing in almost a different competition. And the Storm are in that top, you know, that top echelon of teams. So uh, the Warriors, they looked up against it. And I think Nathan Brown, the coach, has mentioned that, that they're a little bit behind, you know, the Roosters and the, the Storm and the Panthers and that. So... You know, it's probably a fair result, but just because I'm biased, I wanted more. I wanted the Warriors to win. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right about the um the the difference in in teams because I, I had a comment on social media recently talking about the, the score lines. Some of the score lines are there's a big margins. Yeah. In between the score yeah. lines or between the teams, so I, I reckon it's part because of the the new rule changes. The yeah. new rule changes is is basically to speed up the game, which which it is. It's a fast paced game. It's probably the fastest it's ever been, and if you were that younger, if you had that younger squad like the Penrith Panthers, which are mostly young guys, that can you know keep up with that that, that pace. Do, mm. do you reckon that's a that's one of the reasons why we're seeing these these high scores and these yeah. big margins? 
Yeah, I think so. The the new rules, because the league has come a game of momentum. So if you like kick the ball dead, then the opposition gets a seven, you know, seven sets, a uh, seven tackle set, and they're marching upfield, and then you know you're on defense and you almost don't get the ball back for five or six minutes. And that, that's what's happening. And then just the fatigue sets in late. So the new rules and the speed of the game means that the team that has the momentum, they can just dominate for long periods and then they can blow the scores out. So, yeah, I know the new rules, I'm with you, they've contributed. But in the speed of the game means that if the team who doesn't have the ball and does a lot of defense normally runs out of puff and they get blown away quite sort of in that second half. So yeah, yeah, I'm I'm not sure if it's a better competition because I'm one thing I've always loved about the NRL has always been the closeness of the games, and with these blowouts, it's sort of you know that that closeness for anyone can beat anyone isn't isn't really happening anymore. So yeah, I think that the new rules have taken away a little bit of that that excitement. You're not getting those 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 uh you know edge of your seat finishes like you would normally get in a lot of the games, or even expose some of the teams that are that are slow. It's interesting to see the change in the game and it'll be interesting to see what happens at the, the business end of the season when we get to the last few games and then the playoffs. Which yeah. team is going to handle it at the end, right at the end? Yeah. Yeah, I feel for like Penrith because they're, they're undefeated. What They've won seven in a row and they won 17 in a row last year. So they've won like, you know, 25 of their last 26 games. The game they lost was the one that mattered, which was the grand final. But I feel like they... They almost have to win it now. They they they're right up there, and they they seem to be the team to beat again. So now, if they don't win it, it seems like a wasted season almost for them. They they they're a gun team, those those Panthers. So that's the team that I'm really looking at. Coming back to the um the Melbourne Storm. Now the Melbourne Storm. This is a team that I really fucking hated for for the longest time. You know, that was my <laughs> worst team in the NRL. Yeah. But uh, you know, knowing knowing that um all those those Queensland guys are gone, and there's a few New South Wales guys in there, some stars got Pippenhouses in there, Adokars there, mm. you know, like yeah. they don't seem too bad now. I I, I kind of like this team now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's taken a while for me too to warm up to the storm. They also they've changed their style, so they used to be like hardcore. With Cameron Smith, their hardcore wrestling and all that sort of stuff, and they would just, you know, grind out of a boring win, sort of like 14, 12, those types of wins. But with Cameron Munster there, Pappenhausen, who you talked about, Edo Carr. Oh, Cameron Munster, he can't, he can't even kick. He can't kick, bro. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> nah, he can't. But he's <laughs> exciting to watch, so I think that sort of <laughs> helped to make the Melbourne Storm a bit more of a, a flashy team, a bit more exciting. So, mm. yeah, I'm with you. I've, I've traditionally hated the Storm. But I'll, I, I don't mind them so much now. <laughs> and, uh, mate, some of, yeah, some of those boys will be in New South Wales for sure. Pappenhausen's got to be fit in there somewhere. And Ado Car's yeah. always in there. So, yeah, yeah and, um, Storm, they're moving up. Uh, then probably, they were my worst team, and now they might be second worst or third worst. <laughs> so, <laughs> I still don't, it's not a fan of what they do. Mm. <laughs> the other thing that I took my um, notice about the Melbourne Storm, like, with that game against the Warriors was was um, their half and Jerome Hughes. Now now he's in li- he he put, he's in line for the Kiwis, and um, that brings me to my question to you, um, Stace. Like, who do you think will make the the Kiwis halves? Yeah, that's a tough one. I know the Warriors tried to they 
basically tried to sell the farm to get Hughes and they offered him millions of dollars to sign for the Warriors and he basically said, nah, I would rather stay with Melbourne than come to a Gaia team like yours. So, um, no, it seems to be paying off quite well. But, you know, the, the Kiwis, they haven't normally had so much depth in the halves now. But, uh, yeah, Hughes was outstanding. He basically killed the Warriors. Um and, you know, I talked about how there's sort of a divide in the competition, so it's good to see someone like Hughes who's playing for a gun team like Melbourne. They've got um, Dylan Brown who's playing for another gun team in the Eels and Benji who's winding back the clock playing for another gun team with the the, uh, the Rabbitohs there. So a couple of guys. And then yeah, when you think about Sean Johnson, uh, Cody Nakurima's there. So, yeah, there's some real depth there. Um, I'm with you on Hughes. I think he's been outstanding. He's he's a premiership winning halfback now uh, with the Storm. So I'll be picking him probably at halfback. And who I'd get to partner him, I think you need a bit of a balance. So, um, you know, I'd let Hughes do the organisation. He's still a young guy, so I wouldn't mind getting an experienced uh, six. So I've, I've gone, for, I think maybe Sean Johnson would be the guy I'd go for. He needs a bit of time to get over his injuries, but he's been... He can be a bit flighty at NRL level, but for the Kiwis, he's normally been quite good. So he needs a bit more time to get over his injuries. But if I'm looking forward towards the World Cup at the end of the year, mate, that's who I'd be going for. Uh, Hughes and uh, Hughes and Sean Johnson would be my pick. I think being in that um, the Melbourne Storm system, yeah, you know, that's it's like being in the the Crusader system. <laughs> Oh man, see that's another reason I hated the storm as well. They remind me of the Crusaders. Oh, you're right, you're right. Um, and when you think Hughes, he he came through the grades. He played fullback. Hmm. So this last season was his first full season playing halfback, and now he's one of the better halfbacks going around. So mate, credit to the storm system and his hard work. But uh, yeah, another reason why I hate them because the Warriors. That never happens to the Warriors where they just find a never-ending stream of good players. So bit of jealousy from my part, I think, probably. <laughs> <laughs> the, the other good um, Storm player that um, stood out was up there, the guy on the other wing, um, Remus Smith. He oh, scored yeah. a couple of tries, I think. Man, he was the man. Like, he's yeah. a tall, tall guy. And, like, man, he's just strong, eh? Like, man, he had some good try- He had some good finishes that game. Yeah. I don't know where he's, he... I don't know where, where he's aligned to. Is he aligned with one of the Stare Origin Teams or? Well, it's, I know he's um, Tyron Smith's son. And Tyron oh. Smith, he played for the Kiwis in the 90s. So I'm thinking he's a New Zealander, uh, Remus Smith. Um, but yeah, he, ne- he never almost never got the call-up. He's another guy. So he was with the Bulldogs for a couple of seasons, maybe three seasons, when they were pretty gaya. And that's what the Storm do. They take these average Joes and they make this guy, Remus Smith. He, he'll probably get in the Kiwis at the end of the year if he stays healthy as well. So, yeah, that's the Storm system for you. I mean, if, if you had any young people coming through and you think, Shucks, well, should I send you your young kids or nephews or whatever? Mate, I'll be sending them to the Storm stuff, the Warriors. <laughs> nah. <laughs> no, tell the truth. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so the New Zealand Warriors this weekend they have um, North Queensland yep. Cowboys so there's will be a good game for them the Cowboys have um, have three wins in a row leading yeah. up to this game before that they've lost all the games but they won three in a row um, it'll be a good match for the um, for the Warriors it kind of reminds me of the match they had against um, the Dragons which mm. was a good game for, for them 
Yeah. And I noticed that um, they put Reese Walsh in the halves. And and just like you said, Tui Vasek is back on the at fullback. Which is probably not a bad decision. Because yeah. he showed some flashes. Um, I'm talking about Reese Walsh. He'd seen up two tries. I think he had a kick that led to a try. Mm. And a pass to, to Ken Mamaru. Which got those, those last two tries. So just a little bit of uh, brilliance there by the... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I like it. I think it's a good move. Um, I think, you know, Nathan Brown's just trying to find his best 17 and try and find positions for them all. But I like Roger at fullback. Uh, you know, he normally runs for 200-odd metres a game, and he's organising the defence just with his experience. So I think um, Walsh will get his turn, but he's still a little bit young. He provides a bit on attack, and I watched his his YouTube highlights and all the rest of it. So he can do those things. He's got the speed and the footwork and the ball skills, but the big test for him will be, you know, defense in that front line there. So if he can get on top of that, because he looks like he looks like an 18 year old, which he is. You know, he's still got uh, a teenager's body playing against grown men. So I know he got a he copped a smashing from someone in the storm. Just gave him a good shot, and that's one one thing he's going to have to adapt to. Just the the week in week out grind but the signs look good eh so as a Warriors fan he's not you know you're always trying to find something to hang your head on for some hope and I think this kid he could be something eh so I'm glad they got him over early and Roger he's such a selfless guy he's been trying to teach him the ropes so I think um, you know he could be a, a future he could be something good for the for the Warriors but I, yeah that's going to be a good game as you mentioned so they got the um the cowboys and they're coached by uh todd payton who was the warriors coach last year and um you know they start off a bit rough and then he's trying to get his ways now they've got three wins in a row so yeah it'll be a, it'll be a good game so looking forward to i think we the warriors should win it though put it on put it on the line <laughs> the warriors are going to take that one out <laughs> okay um just your two um your six and seven for the Kiwis. Your 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 prediction. Yes, yeah, so I I went for um, Jerome Hughes at seven. So he's the current you know Premiership winning halfback, and he should get the first nod at at seven. And I've gone for Sean Johnson. Um, I'm also looking forward towards the end of the World Cup, and that's who my World Cup team would be, um, providing everyone stays healthy. But there's some depth there, like I mentioned, Dylan Brown at the the Eels. Is, uh, if he carries on, he could sneak in and Benji Marshall winding back the clock. I think Cody Nakurima with the Warriors, they're not going that good and his form hasn't been good. So he's probably slipped down the ranks, even though he's with the Kiwis last year. But yeah, Hughes and Sean Johnson would be my two at this point. Okay. And your prediction for the score, Warriors against Cowboys? Oh, mate, we're going to give them a good old-fashioned touch-up. I know that, that Todd uh, Payton connection sort of gives us a bit of extra spice to that that challenge so i think that we'll give them a good 14 point hiding nice <laughs> yeah we ended that dragons run and i think we can end the, the cowboys run and start moving up the table sweet well we'll the many seagulls will see you up on top of the table <laughs> yeah because we're, we're I, losing I we're I'm... losing any more games we ain't losing any more games <laughs> I, know they, I know they've got the Warriors coming up again in uh, two or three weeks. I'll be sending a message just take out Tom Trevojevic once he's out there, whole game plan's out the window. <laughs> oh, nice. Thanks, man. Okay, we're gonna be, we'll are gonna we be back with some Moana Pacifica. Moana Pacifica. Like, I heard you guys on the counter-rack uh, last night. 
you know, you guys were putting your five cents in, which is you know, for for me being a supporter of Manusamo. That's my first team. Like you know, I I I, I shared my allegiance to All Blacks a long time ago. Oh, okay. yeah, I, I did. My first team is Manusamo. Second team is the Blues. So nowhere in my hierarchy of teams I support is All Blacks anywhere. Oh. <laughs> nowhere, nowhere. It goes Manusamo, then Blues. Auckland rugby third. Oh wow! Okay. <laughs> yeah, I've got I've got too many Gaia teams. So I need one one to be good. So yeah, I've got still got the All Blacks up high, just so that one of my teams <laughs> I can guarantee will win a lot of lot of things. So. No, but that's good. Yeah, I've got a soft spot for the Manu, obviously being of Samoan descent. But um, you know, you just obviously like cheering for the underdog. But uh, yeah, it's been a long, arduous road to get them somewhere. So hopefully, we're going to touch on the minor Pacifica, and hopefully, they can help out. And that's where I'm going to come from. My angle of coming from the angle of me being a Manu Samoan fan, I would want anything that will bring us up. You know, anything that will, that will help Manu Samoa. Be competitive again in the World Cup, because it's something that we're missing from the from the nineties. It's ha- it's been hard lately in the World Cup to see us just struggle to even qualify. Because I think we had to qualify the last World Cup. Yeah. And again, we're gonna have to requalify again. Yeah, uh, exactly. I'm not sure if, how that's going, but uh, yeah, you're right. You know, from the 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 triumphant days of what was it ninety one, where they they got Wales and they got to the quarterfinals and. Um, yeah, it's been pretty, pretty long road after that. But it's weird because you know '91 was this, I guess, in a way, the last amateur World Cup. '95 was when the game changed to professional, and it's hard for teams like the Manu because they haven't had a professional team, so they've sort of been stuck in the amateur era while everyone else has gone professional, and they've been left behind as a result. So Moana Pacifica, in some ways, is that the professional sort of team we need? to help to fill that void I mean I suppose that's what we're here to discuss and that's what we'll see in the future anyway I would want the Mono Pacific team to succeed if it helps Mono Samoa or Tonga because that, that's what they have that's who they represent but listening to what's been happening in the media what also um, Kevin came on TV and talked about the 80% 20% you know I feel for them because I know that it's probably not what they really wanted from the start yeah, they want a total control, but for some reasons, maybe it'll be financial or whatever's, they had to go forward with this deal, which is letting New Zealand have a twenty percent piece of the of the team in terms of putting their own players in as like a vessel for them to choose players to come in the All Blacks, which to me is like shucks, really. I mean, okay, I understand to get our team, a Pacifica team, into a competition like as, as quality as the Super Rugby is to get our team in there. Yeah, that's cool, but to extreme. Sign a deal with the devil to get there. <laughs> yeah, I, I was I was on the same boat as you, but I mean, I suppose, man, I loved listening to uh, the ESPN guys, uh, Max Kellerman and that, and he has that that famous saying he always says, where he says, you know, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good, and that's sort of where I, my take on it. So, in a perfect, the perfect scenario and the perfect answer we could have got would have been hundred percent full Polynesian players only. But I think you know eighty twenty, that's a good that's a good solution, and it's better than what we've had for the last twenty five years, which is nothing. So I mean, yeah, if we can't get the perfect solution, we should be we should stick with the good solution, and this is, in my opinion, a good solution. Eighty percent is better, better than nothing, and I think you're right. That twenty percent, 
uh, was sort of one of the things we had to give up to get it across the line. And in that way, you know, I think um, you just have to make those deals with the devil, as you said, and, and go with it. So I think I will see how it goes, but I think um, there's a lot of positives that can come out of it if they do it properly, for sure. I feel like if they did it properly, it would have been a situation like uh, the Fiji Jura team. Because it looks like they don't have any deals with the New Zealand rugby having 20%, 30% or whatever. It feels like they're fully 100% backed, financially backed by someone and aligned to to their country, to Fiji, 100%. 100%. So so, that, so if the Fiji Jura team is coming into Super Rugby as a independent, independent of every, anyone other than Fiji, which I think that Moana Pacifica fell short of and same as um, as Kana Law. If Kana Law had 100% backing, they would have probably made the MLR. There was a reason why they failed to make the MLR when they applied for it. Yeah. So I, th- so, I think Fiji Drua was. Um, if you look at the the Polynesian um, national teams, like the Fijian team for quite a while actually has been the strongest. So they can bring the most in terms of player pool and player excellence. They, they can bring more top quality players just because Fiji are better than Samoa and Tonga. And also the Fijian draw team is an established team. So they've been playing in the, the shoot shield. You mentioned that on the, the counter-rack uh, previous, so when we were discussing it. So that's uh, basically a pre-established team, which is already coming in. Whereas I think because Moana Pacifica was a startup, that's where the New Zealand Rugby Union could sort of put these caveats in place and say, hey, you can come in, but you have to do this, this, and this. Whereas Fiji Draw was already established, so they're like, oh, we're just going to come in as we are. And so, yeah, I think that, that was a primary difference and a critical difference as to how New Zealand Rugby Union was able to get sort of their hooks in, if you want to look at it that way. But, um, yeah, I, I still think, like, if, if they do it properly, there's a lot of benefits to both Samoa and Tonga if, if they, they do it right to... Um, yeah, just for our listeners, so the 80-20 rule, 80% of the squad has to be um, aligned to a Pacific nation, and then 20% can be sort of non, non-Pacific players, so New Zealanders and, and stuff, people, people already align with that. And I think they're having 38-man squad, so that's 80%, that's 30 guys of um, sort of Samoan and Tongan eligible players or neutral players. So that, that's still quite uh, quite a lot, you know, when you think of it like that. So I think it's going to be good. I, my, my big question is where are they going to get 30 Samoan and Tongan players from? Because it's basically going to be, you know, that's two starting 15s worth of players, you know. A lot of the players will be contracted to other clubs and stuff already. So to come up with that many guys, and that's sort of one of my concerns is they've they've backed themselves, well not backed themselves, but they've they've got this hard and fast rule already, which means they have to fill it up with eighty percent of these sort of Pacific players, and a lot of those players will already be on contracts, and that means that they'll probably end up with a lot of um, sort of developmental players, and that that makes me worry a bit, because uh, if you're getting sort of just to meet the quota, you're you're filling it up with under twenties guys or whoever, just to get to the eighty percent. That team with with development guys won't be that uh, competitive early on. Uh, they could be in for a few hidings, if if that's what ends up happening. Yeah, because I don't I don't I don't think they could get players for the likes of um, Charles Pietel or Stephen Luotua back when they're earning much more money up north. Why would you come back to earn like half half your pay or something? You know. 
playing Super Rugby. I think they all struggled to get those kind of players who are up north already. But and and that, and that was the other question I had too. Like, um, this twenty percent uh, is the Charles Piertels and and Stephen Lutuls are they gonna fit? Are they gonna come back into the twenty percent, or are they gonna be amongst the eighty percent? Now they're gonna be the twenty percent. They have to be, because the eighty percent is Pacific Island aligned or neutral, and they're they're neither of those. They're not neutral. They're New Zealand eligible players. So if they come in and they carved up, then the All Blacks could pick them because they've already played for the All Blacks, which means they don't have to be in that twenty percent. That's my understanding, anyway. Because I think that doesn't suit um, New Zealand rugby, because they were once a want the the fringe players, like for instance, Aniko Jones. Oh, if if, if, if Charles Piertel, if they could get Charles Piertel, yeah, yeah, if, if they could get someone like Charles Piertel and he carved up for Moana Pasifika, I reckon the All Blacks would pick him straight away. Because we know how good he is, and he's been killing it over in Europe. I don't watch a lot of the European games, but I think that they would be happy with um, Luatua and, and Piatel coming back and playing for them. Because then they already played for the All Blacks. They're aligned to the All Blacks already. You know, it's just a matter of if their form is, is up to it. And they don't have to risk, I suppose, any of their five home franchises sort of sucking the bill and the New Zealand Rugby Union paying the bill. So that's another point, where Moana Pacifica will pay the wages. And then if they get picked up for the All Blacks, if they're good enough, then that's when the New Zealand Rugby Union can top them up. So I think they'll be really happy with that scenario, to be fair. So my question to you before we came on the pod was, how would Tonga and Samoa benefit from this Moana Pacifica team? How would they benefit? Yeah, I, I heard Kivi, uh, Kevin Senior, so he's the uh, new general manager of uh, Moana Pacifica and he said that he was going to try to do a lot of work uh, with the Samoan under-20s and the Tongan under-20s and I think that might be sort of where the benefit comes you know they could provide sort of elite pathways and Moana Pacifica can get those under-20s guys and develop them and provide sort of those professional opportunities to a lot of these young players because you know a lot of players who come from those under-20s programs they'll leave Tonga or Samoa and they'll go to develop in a tier one nation, and they'll be lost. They won't ever play for them again. So Malakai Fikitoa, he was a Tongan under-20s guy, I believe. Um, I think Fakatava was another guy who was a, a Tongan under, um, sort of superstar over there. Vaya uh, Fifita is another guy. Uh, there's been a couple of Samoan guys who have come over from Samoa as well. And then if they're good enough, they basically align to the All Blacks. Or sometimes they go over to Japan or wherever, and then that's it. They don't get they don't get uh, picked from the Monu Samoa. They just go and take the money for these Tier 1 nations or the richer nations, which you can't knock them because, you know, that's sort of, they're providing for their family and they're taking those opportunities. But I think if Moana Pacifica was to get them, and they're developing them and using their 80% rule, to develop them and then pushing them towards playing for Tonga and Samoa, then that's got to be beneficial. But um, I know Joey was a bit sort of sceptical about that uh, that scenario unfolding, but that's sort of how they're painting the picture of how uh, it could theoretically work. But, you know, one, one thing I wanted to see is I wanted to know, which we don't know, sort of what the Manu Samoa and what Tongan rugby are going to do to help Moana Pasifika, because it sort of seems like it's one way. What's Moana Pasifika going to do to help the islands? But, you know, if you look at New Zealand rugby, they help out their five franchises, the Blues and the Crusaders and that, because they understand that if the Blues 
and the Crusaders do well, and their teams do well, the players do well, that they'll filter into the All Blacks. So the Manu Samoa and Tongan Rugby Union have to also understand that if the players do well in Moana Pacifica and it goes how they plan it to go, those players will filter towards their international teams. So the two can have to help each other out and the two have to work together. So, you know, there's a lot of people who say, what's Moana Pacifica going to do to help the Islanders, other island nations? But it has to be has to be a joint venture. They have to work together. So I'm curious what the Manu Samoan are going to do to help the uh, help Moana Pacifica because, yeah, if they can help provide uh, sponsorship or tell some of their players uh, who are already part of it, so go back and play for this team, you know, I think, I think you know, if, and it works out properly, if Moana Pacifica is successful and they put funnel players towards the national teams, then the two will be can be successful together. Or the two could potentially fail together, but they've got to find that common ground, is what I think, yeah. There's also the, there's another layer in there too, and that's the Northern Hemisphere club teams. They recruit from international, and then the second tier down, they recruit from Super Rugby sort of level. So if you get more players playing in Super Rugby, that's another team for for those guys to recruit as well. So you're, all got, you're always going to be drawn away from, from the bigger money contracts, whether it be Japan or, or Europe as well. So my concern is when you have all, the, all these factors in place, picking all these players, what's left for Moana Pacifica? What's left for Tonga and, and Samoa in the end after everyone's taken their piece of the pie? <laughs> yeah, no, that's a good point. But one thing I do say is because Moana Pacifica is theoretically aligned to helping out the Pacific nations, you know, rugby is ruled by so much self-interest. So the clubs, they'll take a lot of the island players before, they're, um, before they've declared their allegiance. And the countries of those clubs are happy for that to happen because in theory, though, they will turn up for the, those countries as well uh, once they've passed their residency. But because Moana Pacifica are... Uh, built to help the Polynesian teams, they'll be bringing these guys in and recruiting them and developing them in the hopes of them eventually representing those um, PI nations. So I think that critical point of difference, if it's done properly, um, that, that, that could be one thing. Because, yeah, like I mentioned before, heaps of players have come through the Tongan and Samoan development systems, been snapped up by clubs and Tier 1 nations, and that's it. They're gone forever. They turn out for other countries and play for other clubs overseas, and they almost never end up playing for their home nations. So I think that the Moana Pacifica, who are aligned to those home nations, could um, definitely help to stem that, that, that flow of players away from the islands. But yeah, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, one thing I wanted to say, because we talked about this, we drunk and talked about this <laughs> on, when we did our very early episodes of the 135 when uh, it was just a lot of shouting and drinking and stuff. But we talked about um, the loophole, the loophole of the Olympics. So I would love, this might be a bit dodgy, but I wonder if Moana Pacifica would be open to picking players and then using the loophole. So if they said, oh, we'll sign Charles Piatel and we'll release him for three or four weeks for the Olympic qualifiers to play for Tonga, then he can come back and sign for us for three years and be in Tongan National and fall in that 80%. Or like with Steve Lautour, I'm sort of thinking a bit outside the box and it might be a bit, bit dodgy, but I reckon they should do it. I think they should sign Piatel, give him three weeks off to play in the Olympic qualifiers. He can change the Tonga and then they can have him for three three years 
playing for Moana Pacifica and him playing for Tonga and do the same with Luatua and whoever else they want to loophole in. I just think that's a, a cheeky way of filling the 80% quota and changing people's allegiance back to uh, Samoa and Tonga. Oh, that's brilliant. That's a brilliant loophole for these players to take advantage of, you know? Yeah, and and, and, and if Moana Pacifica doing their job, because clubs don't want to release the players to play in these Olympics qualifiers, you know, they think it's a waste of time. Well, it doesn't help their, their club. But if Moana Pacifica are set up to improving the island teams, then they should be open to letting players loophole, take a couple of weeks off to play in that loophole. Hmm. Yeah. Nice. Nice. You hear it here, guys? Empty out the clip? Yep. <laughs> Give if you're listening, mate. <laughs> use, that loop, use that loophole and get Charles Piertel and all the rest of it back. They, they just, yeah, for our listeners, I think you've got to play uh, three, the two or three Olympic qualifiers in the sevens, and then you can change your national allegiance. So, um, yeah, do it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll see you, man. Before you go, brother. Just to segue into our next uh, topic with uh, my next guest. What are you watching on Netflix right now? Yeah, mate, I'm, I'm in the middle of shows, eh? I'm still trying to find something to watch. I started watching that New Amsterdam, which, um, yeah, I haven't found much time. But that that's it at the moment. What, what do you guys got? You guys got something something good on the go? Now I'm going to try and talk to Ria about um, the this, this documentary she's, she's watching. It's called uh, Why Did You Kill Me? It's on Netflix Oof. right now. I think she, she found it in the top 10. Oh, yeah. Nice. Yeah. I'll keep an ear out for that <clears> one. If it's, yeah. See if it's worthy. Yeah. Sweet, bro. So that's up next. Thanks, oh, yeah. man. Sweet. Thanks for coming on. Cheers, uh, empty out the clip, brother. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Fat. Sweet. Fat. Yeah, that no, because I was thinking, why did, why did Rhea ask me to watch this movie? <laughs> <laughs> well, I did. I told you that I watched it. <laughs> and then it was like, but yeah, I think that's the thing. I started watching it, and then I was waiting for the because you think, um, you know, people make documentaries for a reason, right? So I was waiting for that reason, like, you know, what is the big, you know? So I thought it was this whole um, MySpace. I I thought that it was about like a, a normal person who had gone and done the whole detective, you know through my space and like it was an awesome thing and I was like no nah, man she's crazy like it's about the mom who's crazy <laughs> <laughs> okay I think yeah I think I was crazy watching the documentary in the first place but um but now so, so so you know to get what everyone's here and listening to us talk we're talking about the a documentary on Netflix called why did you kill me I think it's in the top 10 is that that that's where you I came across it. it that's how you came across it area yeah, that so, is honestly why. <laughs> <laughs> that is the only reason why. And no, because I like true crime docos too. Like, you know, I, I love that. And I see, like, I watch stuff on Facebook and that. And um, yeah, I, I'm sure it had come up on my top 10. That's usually how I pick what to watch. Um, yeah, and then it unfortunately was not in my top 10. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it was a good, good premise, though, eh? Like it's it's a story about a crime that happened in America two thousand and six, uh, and innocent bystander got killed. And it was a story about how the family got together and used social media to track down the killers. Oh. Well, somewhat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The problem for me was I didn't really care about the 
the people involved in the in the in the story. I think, I think that the, the gang that was there that had a big part in the murder was like, I, I didn't care. For, okay. Yeah, fifty one fifty gang. I, I didn't really care for them, and 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 and, and uh, you know, I feel sorry for the girl that got killed. You know, it's sad, but then you know, it revealed what well, the background of her family. Yeah, and then it was like, man, these white trash. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> I, I, oh, didn't wow. Really, I know I didn't really care. I didn't really care <laughs> for that family. You know, like, but um, no, but but. I think the interesting part was, you know, what the whole thing was about. So it was about the use of social media to track down, yeah, to track down the the murderer, and that was um, a, a pretty interesting thing. Um, is that what you got out of it as well? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I thought that that's what it was in the first place, and you know, it's always interesting to me, um, you know, as a woman, because it's like, um, you know, they always say that women are like the number one FBI's when it comes to like, you know, social media, using social media to find stuff out. That's somewhat true. So I thought, okay, well, maybe this is a bit like that. You know, let's see how these girls get their, um, use their investigative skills to actually solve a murder. Um, but it was really twisted. And I didn't like how, well, first I didn't like how it started, um, given that the it was a 14, the, the uh, niece, Jamie. Um, so the, the lady who was killed was Crystal. Um, she was 24. I believe her, her it was her niece, Jamie, um, who was the one that was, that decided um, at the age of 14, 15, that she was going to start this MySpace account um, to try and lure in the uh, gang members of uh, 5150 to try and find out who who was the one that shot her, her, her auntie or cousin or whatever she was, um, with the backing of Belinda, who is um, Crystal's mum, and a freaking, you know, I got no words for Belinda, but she was, yeah. Anyway, um, so I think, what got me is how young Jamie was when she started this and they did say that uh well actually Jamie said herself that um you know all the MySpace was all the rage back then and those young ones that generation knew how to use it um and so I thought oh yeah that's pretty smart you know you just go in and do that but then it got really twisted when they started um she had gone and got the um it was catfishing, wasn't it? Like that, that's really what it was. It was catfishing on a major scale. Um, take a photo of somebody else, um, put it up there to try and attract all the five fifty one fifty gang members and it worked. Um and then um but and then created another account pretending to be um Angel, who was in fact her the murdered cousin. Um and then pretending to be her doing the same thing, luring in the fifty one fifty. Um, and in particular, the main person that they were after, which was the driver of the car. Um, and um, look, I thought it was messed up um, because in the end, the young girl said it was too much, pretending to be her dead cousin. You know, like that's mental. Like that, that, that's catfish to a whole new level. Like, you know, so um, yeah, I didn't, I didn't like that um, part of it um, because it, you could see that it really messed Jamie up. Um, and then the mum took over the, uh, <laughs> Belinda took over the MySpace account. <laughs> She's got issues, man. I was like, oh. That was pretty cringy, eh, when she did, when she started, um, being the character on the, on the MySpace. But you know what's, what was more fucked up was when they used the same picture, her picture, Crystal's photo. Yeah, yeah, the actual picture. On the guys that were there, but obviously they didn't recognise her as, they didn't know who it was, who they killed, eh? They thought it was a rival gang. Yeah, that's right. That that shot at them earlier on that day. Yeah. So those guys were out on the prowl, 
You know, yes. and they came. But what I didn't get was how did they come across that car? Did they think that was? How did they know? How did they think that was the guys that shot at them early in the day? So, I think from what I got is that they, it, uh, you know, the guy who actually did the shooting in the end. Yeah. It wasn't Julio. even. Yeah, Julio. Julio. It wasn't even him. It wasn't even him that got shot at earlier in the day. It was one of their gang members. Ah, uh, yeah. That had uh, one of their gang members had their daughter in the car or something, and they had been shot at by who they thought was another rival gang. So, Mr. Tough Guy Julio or whatever said, "Oh, boys, let's go and look for this, you know, this guy." So that's all they did. Seven of them jump in this um, Ford Expedition, start roaming the streets. Now, this other guy, Robbie, just happened to be in his car talking to his mate. Um, and that's what had happened when these guys were cruising. They thought, oh, this guy's outside in a car late at night talking to somebody. I wonder if it's this guy. And then they turned around um, and faced them. And then Robbie, who is uh, Crystal's brother or like the, the son of Belinda, um, he freaked out because obviously now there's this car, you know, and there's tension in the streets anyway. And he took off. Well, because he took off, these guys chased him. And then it was a whole thing. And that's kind of where that happened but then they came upon the car that crystal was in my first question was what's everyone else doing out at night like everyone's like <laughs> the, mom, the mom said she was in another car right in front of the other car where crystal was so apparently they were all in cars and they were just driving i don't know where they were going um all high on meth at the time um so where was everyone going like at that time of the night and then that's when the cast the the cast stopped. Julio got out and shot into the car that Crystal happened to be in, and she got shot. Yeah, I think I think to be fair was I think the time was eight forty p.m. Oh yeah. So so it wasn't too late. Yeah. But um, yeah, just it was just the randomness of it all. But yeah. you know, as you said, I didn't know they were high on meth. But you know, if you're high on meth, pumped up to find whoever shot at you earlier in the day, and you got all your boys in your car. Yes cruising around hyped up there you're probably gonna explode well, actually belinda was high on meth the mother oh okay yeah so she said she got high and she had said you know um at the end of the doco she says something about um that she was high on meth and then she said everyone was you know including the guys in the car so i actually don't know if that's true but you can imagine the adrenaline and oh yeah we're gonna you know get revenge for our boys and it, it seemed like it was just something that everyone did back then so yeah um I think that was the part too where, you know, when she sort of revealed her family background, her sons were in and out of jail and stuff like that. Eh? And yes. She was on meth and drugs and all that stuff. And that's when my feelings for that family sort of went downhill, eh? Like, you know. Well, <laughs> but, you know, but yeah. so there's two things that caught my attention the most. And that was one, uh, Riverside, California, that's yeah. where this is based. And that's where my favorite NBA player of all time is from, uh, Reggie Miller. He's from. He's from Riversdale, California, and okay, thanks for that. And the whole, <laughs> and the whole social media thing of, of about it because if you, it was back in two thousand and six, and I think social media was in its um, infant stage. Yeah, it was just ramping up. I don't think Facebook was, and it's where it is now. I think it was MySpace that started all the social media stuff. Eh? Well, was was Bebo before MySpace or after? I think I think Bebo was popular here in in New Zealand. Right, but. It was off the back of um, MySpace, which is what, oh, okay. which was really popular in the United States. Do you remember that time? Oh, back in the early social media days. 
Of course, I remember those. I I had a Bebo account. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, because I remember trying to start up a MySpace account, because I I only recognize MySpace from the Americans. Yeah, yeah. But I remember trying to open it up and just being confused and just just overwhelmed with yeah. what you can do on MySpace with what yeah. decorations you can do. The graffiti, I was like, oh, fuck, this is too hard. I don't want to do this. Yeah, yeah. Bebo was much easier. I think Bebo was the easy version of MySpace, and that and that's, I think, why Bebo took off here in, in New Zealand. Yeah. Because, you know, at that time, you know, we were, we were always going out, always posting our photos and that. You know, I can't even remember um, exactly what I used Bebo for, but it was only just for parties and that. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> how about you? Do you, remember the, do, you remember, do you remember those days? I might have already had my first son by then when we had Bebo because um, I think I remember a photo of him up on on the um, thing actually I think one time I I googled I googled my name and that picture came up and linked back to my Bebo account back in the day and I was like man that, that this internet's uh, old school so yeah I uh, I think that's what I yeah I don't think I did parties and stuff back then I think I already had yeah, I think that was the main thing that was that I used it for, you know, yeah. <laughs> just showing off your good times every every weekend. But uh, <laughs> we still do it now, just on a different platform. <laughs> but um, yeah, um, that whole the whole thing about in the documentary, like finding the killer, using social media to find the killer. Because yeah. when I think about it, we're talking about MySpace, we're talking about pre Facebook, early social media. And this cousin of hers, I think it was a cousin. What's her name? Jamie. Jamie. The young, yeah, the young. Yeah, one. she um she jumped on MySpace to look to um do some investigations, which I probably think was probably you know unheard of at the time. Yeah, um, and I think that stood out for me too as being weird because I would have thought that the cops, when they did find out about it, um, which was a bit later on, um, would have put a stop to it at that point. But he, the the cop, what's uh, his name, Rick or something, the main investigator. He was like, oh, you know, it was a good way to do it. And I'm like, bro, that's not their job. Like, that's your job. Like, they shouldn't have allowed them to carry on with it. Um, but he said something like, I, I, he said something like, oh, you know, it's a good way to do it. Um, and then let her keep, like, let her keep doing it. The only time it was taken off her was when some, you know, when there was a big uh, surge in, the for the explorers and the expeditions the cars being blown up mm, that's right the yeah. mother had now taken over the myspace account and incited a bunch of violence between rival gangs and um that's when the cop goes i oh, actually you know what it's probably not a good idea that you carry on with the social media business you know yeah yeah, yeah. and shuts it down it's like it, yeah it should it, it should have been taken off her a lot earlier i think but maybe they didn't know the power of um, social media at that point. Exactly, and that and that and that was the thing I was interested about um, because it was early. The police didn't know the power of social media, you know. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they thought, okay, you're gonna do all this stuff. Uh, doesn't really matter until all the those SUVs start and get shot up around the place, you know, and and then decided to oh, let's shut the social the social media thing down. Do you remember when um when the U.S. government started to spy on on their citizens using social media? That's nice. that the whole thing that Edward Snowden, he was like a whistleblower yeah. and he exposed all that because he used to work for the CIA. So he exposed the big thing where the, because of after 9-11, it was a whole um, paranoia. The CIA got this technology that could spy on everyday people yeah. without them knowing. Like, 
like tap it into people's laptops and seeing what the laptop is seeing. Oh, and is it, but is it like um, using like trigger words as well? Like they're alerted when people are using certain trigger words on yeah. media and that? Yeah. So that sort of technology is more advanced at that time. Mm. But it just reminded me of what, what this girl was doing with using yeah. MySpace to track down. It's a similar sort of, she's using the technology in a similar sort of, similar sort of way. Yeah. You know, without people really understanding it. Because after all, it was it was early, and you don't we didn't really understand the power of social media at that time. Yeah, the police didn't understand either, and that's why they let it go in the first in the first yeah, instance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then when they was when shit was going down, they said, oh, "No, no, we'll, we'll take that away from you." <laughs> you know. Yeah. So, I think out of everything that I felt about this documentary, I think that was the main sort of thing that got my attention. Yeah. And and made me remember what it was like in the early social media days. Yeah. Pre Facebook. What Jamie did, she was sort of ahead of her time. Yeah. Doing all that investigation stuff. Yeah. Because when we hear about things like people getting fired from their jobs through Facebook, and like, wow, you can do that now? Like, search your history and try to get a sense of what, what kind of person you are? Yeah. Like, I didn't know that until later, later on. Yeah. I, I think know? she just she just used it as a tool that, like, she said something that um, I just did what Crystal taught me to do. Um, you know, which was to lure in, you know, the guys will make the guys wonder or whatever it was. Um, so I kind of think she just did on the internet what she was taught to do as a chick, you know. Um, and so it wasn't that big of a jump for me. Like it didn't, um, the, the spread of it was and what Belinda managed to do with it after, like that whole thing about luring people into one area for a party so she can then shoot them up, you know, that was mental. Um, so I think it showed how um yeah i guess how advanced it could it could be and um that whole thing about blowing up you know causing that whole gang rival stuff um just shows the power of the internet and how how quickly um things can escalate once it's on the on the net and stuff and you can do so much more damage um online um than you can do in person driving around in one car you know um, and that, that to me was scary, but, um, I don't think they knew that at the time they were just desperate and, uh, yeah, yeah, they, they wouldn't have known. Now we'd know now, now that's why there's so much filtering on, on social media is because we know that if we put something on the internet, it's going to cause such a huge outrage and, you know, can cause so much violence and stuff. Um, that's, yeah, that's why there are so many restrictions back then they wouldn't have had a clue. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I thought about all those things. Like, I thought about... You're exactly right. She caused a gang war, almost. Oh, she, she probably... Oh, she, or, did. she did. She did, eh? Yeah. And, and, and people would have actually died if they came to that, that secret party she tried to organize. Yeah. Remember? That secret yeah. party. And yeah. She was going to go out and, and shoot those guys. But, yeah, just... just Man, it was... I think that in itself, you're right. That in itself was scary. Was yeah. the most scary part of the whole story. Not Not what actually happened, but how social media was used how they used social media and how it influenced how it manipulated yeah. those gang members yeah well, it was well, like, it's but not true as well like yeah yeah not, yeah not true research, you know? yeah 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 exactly like, exactly oh, yeah i heard that these guys said this about you oh yeah oh yeah like you know and it's like hang on go find out if he actually said that nothing like that and that's so they're arguing over something that didn't happen it's like so stupid yeah, yeah, so stupid. It is so stupid, but and, and dangerous at the same time. Yeah. Man, 
so man okay i got a bit i got a bit of understanding talking to you about this this movie now <laughs> and like of the whole thing and it is a good documentary i mean if you if you cut through all the what's on the surface well, and get down and get down to the nitty-gritty which i think yeah. was what we're talking about this documentary and how it relates to to our lives particularly yeah. in, the, in the social media space and, and what's happening now i think people have more understanding now what social media can do yeah there's a whole lot of documentaries on netflix about it there's that one i don't even know, know if you've seen that documentary um about the cats don't mess with cats no. and that's that's a similar sort of story yeah. where a, a serial killer it was this guy who was about to be a serial killer he murdered a cat on he videoed himself murdering a cat he killed a cat Why? but it didn't show his face but yeah. and he put it out there online and what they did, all these cat lovers around the world saw this video yeah. and they all banded together and did the same thing. Use social media to track down this guy. Right. Yeah. And he ended up to be a, a real serial killer. Oh, God. And, and they got him at the end. So yeah. you should check that one out because it's a similar, similar sort of thing. I think it's called Don't Fuck With Cats. Oh, well. Yeah. <laughs> Don't Fuck With Cats. <laughs> yeah, because that's what I need. More procrastination. <laughs> Yeah, um, I, I think actually one of the other things that really struck me with this documentary was um, the, like the role of the mum. Uh, very early on, I kind of got annoyed with her because it was the whole thing around, um, she said something in the beginning about when the cops asked her stuff, she was like, nah, like, you know, wasn't forthcoming with the information um, because they didn't trust cops and stuff. So they, and she lied to them about, you know certain things to protect your own kids in the whole situation so it's either you want to find your daughter's killer and be upfront about everything or you or you don't you know so it's like she wasn't forthcoming and then got mad at the cops for not doing their job but yet she was also hindering it you know what i mean um and then the whole thing around um you know we find out that actually she did drugs and stuff she did meth um and uh it kind of she said something about how her daughter crystal who got killed uh had always wanted her to give up drugs um and that her sons had also been through jail and all of that kind of stuff she used to sell drugs herself and she was real blase about it do you remember that part where she was kind of like um oh yeah i i did um you know i sold i really put it out there i sold you know i sold it to heaps of people I was like, <laughs> <laughs> you know um and then uh, she said something like, oh, yeah, I did a lot of damage out there. You know, like real blase about it. Anyway, when you get to the end, they talk about Julio and his mum. And how, he, so Julio's a shooter and how, what his family life was like. And they said too that his mum was a drug, uh, was addicted to drugs and alcohol. And um, that he actually became the person that looked after his siblings um, at a very young age. So he was about 14, 15 when he left the house. So you kind of look at this and you go, man, the mums played such a big role in all of these kids' lives, you know, um, and how they ended up the way they have. And yet what annoyed me is that Belinda didn't take responsibility for it. It was everyone else's fault, you know. Um, and that 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 part about her going after the driver, um, Joker, the, the one on MySpace, um, I still don't get that, why she was so – I know he drove the car, but um, – the, the actual shooter was, you know, um, was Julio, who was already arrested at this point, you know, um, but she was still after the driver. Do you get that? Like, do you, like, she still had this, she, 
this is the one she had a personal vendetta against. This is the one that she was messaging on on uh, Facebook, uh, oh, sorry, on MySpace, pretending to be Angel, um, and having this kind of you know fake relationship with him. Um, but she was really against him and still wanted him to come to justice um, after the actual shooter was caught. But I don't understand that. Do you get that? I think because the other guys, they testified, the other guys that were in the car. So so they got let off. But I think the driver, Joker, he drove, he he went missing. Yeah, but Joker was the first one that got, that got um, questioned and was the first one to give the police the names of the, the Lemus twins. Lemus, Lemus, the twins, uh, not the twins, the brothers, um, who were the second lot to testify. So actually, Joker was the first one to actually start the whole, to, the first one to snitch on the gang, um, all the other people, and actually started the, was the one who made it possible for the others to get um, arrested and questioned. Um, yes, he took off after afterwards, but um, I don't know whether he deserved 22 years Um that's what he got in the end was 22 years in jail. Mm, no, yeah, no, that's a good point. Because if you think about the brothers that testified and, and, and got let off, yeah, maybe that 22 years has got to do with him running away as well. Um, it was voluntary manslaughter in the end. I don't know whether it was voluntary because he drove the car knowing that there was going to be, um, you know, that they were going out cruising to kill somebody. Mm. Um, but then I would expect everyone else in the car who jumped in the car to do it mm. as well, you know, to get some kind of thing as well. Yeah. He was also the first contact on the, on the MySpace for, yeah. for the family. Yeah. So, you know, they were leading him on, they were leading him on. I think that fueled most of it as well. Yeah. Like here's this guy that drove the car, that killed my daughter. Yeah. And we're, and we're just flirting with him, you know, flirting with him all this time. And, <laughs> I actually you know? felt sorry for him like, in the end. I was like, you know, because he's like this hard out gang member, but then he's like, oh, no, you know, I've got dreams, you know, I, I want to be a chef and I'm doing my GED and stuff. And I was like, man, the guy's trying to change, you know, like, <laughs> put him some slack, man. And, and when they actually caught up with him, he was married with four kids, you know, this is like 15, 14, 15 years after the murder. And he's now married with four kids and he's a like a chili farmer or something. Um, so he had changed his life, you know, for as, as far as I could see. But um, I don't know, man. I just thought, man, that's sad. I, I did feel sorry for him at some point going, you know, you try and change. But uh... yeah, I'm glad, I'm, glad, I'm glad you brought up the um, the drug dealing because, you know, what what's the name of the mum? Belinda. Belinda. Did they, did they say that she actually sold drugs to, the, to Julio's mum? No, she used this. She said herself. She admitted that she sold drugs. So oh, she yeah, goes, yeah. I wrote this down. She goes, she goes. Oh, I sold drugs as well. I sold a lot. I did a lot of damage out there. I yeah. put a lot oh, of drugs yeah. on yeah. the street. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. That's pretty sad. Eh? Well, what they were saying about um, Belinda and um, the, the families didn't know each other, but. Um, the, the problem was the same with the mothers. So Belinda, who's a mother, was um, doing crystal meth um, and was addicted to it. And Julio, who was the murderer in the end, um, his mother was addicted to drugs and alcohol. So both these mothers weren't looking after their children in the way that a mother should look after their children, um, which stuffed up the kids. Uh, and then, yeah, and so now the kids are 
uh, almost like it's like this generational cycle of um you know of the the what what, what drugs has done to the family and um from what i understand crystal who got uh killed she wasn't didn't want a part of it she didn't uh do well she didn't do drugs or, or something like that um and uh so she was but the brothers had been in a lot of trouble because of drugs same as the killer's family as well you know his mum was part of the drug life he was 14 15 and ended up having to look after his siblings because his mother couldn't you know so that's a lot of pressure this is how they end up in the gangs as well is because they go and look for this family that they didn't find at home you know um and then unfortunately the you know the gang family runs a runs a different way so um and they were introduced to drugs and alcohol themselves so it's just this real like the cycle you know and um yeah the mum had a lot to do with that uh, belinda had a lot to do with this and um i just don't think that she uh she hasn't paid for anything you know yes she lost her daughter which is i know i get i get that in itself is is a um you know a a, a big pain um but this whole inciting violence on online and the selling the drugs admitting to selling drugs where is the repercussion for that you know like um and that's why i don't understand that where where is the she got no repercussions over what she did admitted what she did and yet the um gang member uh who drove the car got 22 years you know um and he had changed his life and it's kind of like where's the like there's such a huge difference and i don't get why mm. you know I'm, I'm thinking about um the death of her daughter was probably the biggest price oh of course yeah of course i don't know if such thing as reverse karma but yeah. whatever bad stuff she's done it's all come home to roost with the death of her daughter you know she hasn't learned that um you know her actions probably led that path to her daughter getting murdered you know yeah. so yeah just like you said it's all like a cycle yeah hmm. which is really sad but uh a reality yeah yeah far you know what? I, I started this i started this podcast with you thinking about this how 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 stink how stink this, this movie was <laughs> but now but now now that we're breaking it down you know we've gone through all the layers man it's pretty deep eh? it's pretty deep yeah well, what do you think about that um the model of the town i thought that was pretty cool how they... oh, yeah. I, I was wondering who made that that, that's pretty cool. I, I wonder whether the mother made it because while she was in her, you know, weird state. Um, and, and like, I guess it made me think, like, you know, putting out in, um, in reality what's going on in your head, hey, as you try and play it over and over again, it was a really cool model. Um, yeah. Did you find those hands annoying, moving the cars around? <laughs> that just reminded me of a kid, like, when they're telling stories. <laughs> <I'm> like, <"Rrr." laughs> Yeah, no, it was. Cool. I, I like that. Yeah, and I thought yeah. Oh, they should do that more often. But um, when yeah. when when they re when they reenacted the um the murder scene, I got kind of conf confused. Yeah. yeah, with what really happened, what happened, because yeah, but I had to rewind it and watch it again a few I times. Because of the person telling the story, she <laughs> <laughs> was a bit. Um, yeah. Sorry, what were you gonna say? Oh, the or... um, you remember the part where she she identified the guy who she thought that it was like the sketch so the when she was first took in for questioning and, and she was asked to describe the shooter and she had said oh yeah and they did up a little sketch um and then they she had said it was a young guy so they brought out yearbooks 
Oh yeah. And she pointed out one kid. Did, did you see it? And um, it wasn't him, me. It wasn't him. My God, my heart broke. The poor kid is in there, um, you know, crying his eyes out. Like I just want to go home. You sound like a baby, you know. Like I was like, oh, poor kid. Um, and then Belinda was just like. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> they didn't tell me that if I did this wrong, then, you know, I couldn't be used as a witness or something. I'm like, oh, yeah, get off the trucks. <laughs> yeah. No, that's, uh, the, going... mistaken, the mistaken identity, I guess. Um, you know, like in, and, uh, <sighs> <laughs> knowing that she was on drugs on the day how could she have been a you know credible witness anyway um and how can you bring in somebody like that you know she was so adamant that that was him you know but how can you just bring somebody in based on that and uh oh i felt i felt for the kid man he was just he sounded so like a little baby crying like <laughs> i want to go home to mom you know it was so sad yeah no, just don't do drugs, man. <laughs> We're on the story. Don't do drugs. <laughs> there was the um, the the Lemus brothers. Uh, I think I can't remember their name. What were their names? Um, yeah, the Lemus brothers who were brought in for questioning. They were the two sitting at the back of the um, the car, and they were brought in for questioning. One of the brothers snitched, and then and the other brother wouldn't. And then when they went back to the gang or whatever, they uh, they were trying to turn the other brother against the other brother. Both of them fled. And then the gang burned down the parents' house. What? Oh, I didn't catch that, but no. So, yeah, so the the two brothers left. Um, So, okay, so one of the brothers snitched. Then the gang asked the other brother who didn't snitch, was it your brother? And he's like, I don't know, man. I don't know what he said. And then they go, What would you do if if I if I killed your brother? Um, and then the the brother said, Well, I'll do what you would do if somebody killed your brother. So at that point, the brother decided, Okay, even though I didn't snitch, I don't want my brother to get hurt. So we're gonna take off. They took off. Now to get to them, the gang went to the parents' house um, and started, a, a, um, I guess, threatening the parents. The parents left the house. But um, they burnt the house down. The gang burnt the house down. Um, and, uh, yeah, and I, I think that brother actually might still be in hiding because he was very, he was the one with the disguise. The oh, disguise. okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the glasses. I'm like, oh. so, yeah. Um, yeah, that, that sucked as well. But it's not too far off what Belinda did as well, you know, like kind of go after anyone who had a blooming car, go after the whole gang. I don't care who it was. I just want to go after the whole gang and start. Um, yeah, so that whole mentality of um, it's not even about the person, it's just rage, you know. Mm. I guess it shows how advanced the gangs in USA are using social media. Because I know in South Chicago, um, they, there's a big problem with gang violence yeah. there. And it's sort of like um, arguments on Facebook and you get killed for it. Yeah. Like drive-bys are uh, started by taunts, uh, taunting on Facebook. You know, yeah. it's like, it's like crazy. Yeah. Well, that's like cyberbullying here, you know. Like, you know, what, what causes um, 
you know people to take their own lives here as well you know not not just the violence like one against the other but also to people to be cyber bullied and, and taking their own lives because of things that people have said that other people have said you know oh she said this about you he said this about you it's just like yeah it's just too easy to get to the to the kids now like to not anyone these days and mess them up like that so yeah social media has its good points but it also has its dark side um yeah yeah so um you know as a mum do you, yeah. does that concern you with you know raising kids and social media does that even f- add on to the all the other stresses that social media brings yeah for sure because you you kind of like have to stay on top of it you know as well you have to and, and and because i don't do social media a lot it's kind of like i have to stay on top of learning how all of this works so that i can keep an eye on um what's happening with my kids you know um so there's uh um which makes it difficult because you also have to be able to communicate with your kids and allow your kids to be able to talk to you about um you know what people are saying things that you don't see so like the stuff that happens on the direct messenger and stuff um you know you want to be able to have your kids talk to you about um what's happening on there um because you don't want to have to go through it you know you don't have to want to go through their messages and check it but it's just too easy and you hear too many stories about it um so it is a scary place for kids and, and we have to be um really in our kids um not space but um have this really close connection with our kids so that we can try and guide them through it and uh, let them know what's as well as being up to date with it ourselves which is hard enough yeah and and, and just seeing these kids and gangs in the u.s that are that are using social media and they've got guns you know they've, yeah and, and and they're and they're ready to kill you know it's even even worse well you know you just think about the most stupidest things right like that go viral and then that people that goes viral because people try it right so if you think about something simple like um the i don't know if it was on tiktok or whatever but it was that uh vortexing of a bottle mm. you know the stupid drink bottle thing my kids came to me and started doing that and i go Where the f- Where, where's that from what is that like that's just stupid <laughs> like you know just drink the damn thing properly you know and they're like oh no so then it was like that for ages like there was this you know thing but if you know that's an innocent thing i guess i don't know it depends on what's in the bottle i guess but what happens if it ends up being you know like a gun you know all of a sudden oh yeah let's play you know whatever with this gun this is cool now and it goes viral well, what mm. the heck man like you know like, they're gonna believe it because it's viral on tiktok you know what i mean yeah and follow it because it's viral where's the sense in this where's the questioning that goes hey maybe this isn't smart like mm. you know Especially when we didn't have those kind of drinking games back when we were in our daisy. Oh, no. <laughs> I never had drinking games like that back in the library where I was studying or, or, and reading my Bible. Or drinking tricks. Yeah, man. Um, so if everyone out there want to go check out their top 10 on Netflix, <laughs> I think it's still there. Is it still there on top 10? I want to have a look. I don't, I don't know if it's on top 10, but it's still there on Netflix. So, um, yeah, okay. I... If you want to lose an hour and a half of your life, then. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hey, my feelings for this documentary now—it's pretty, it's pretty, it's pretty deep. We made it pretty deep, Bria. We made it yeah. pretty deep. But the documentary is called um, "Why Did You Kill Me?" Yeah. It's on Netflix. It might be in the top twenty now. Got bumped yeah, off the top ten. Yeah, it's not 10. in the top ten. Okay. Mm. Cool. So, what are you watching now? At the moment. 
Uh, nothing. I'm, try, I'm trying to stay away. I'm trying to stay away from Netflix because I have things to do. So uh, <laughs> right now, nothing. Um, yeah, I, I guess the thing is, normally if um, if uh, Sin has watched something, because Sin and I have similar tastes in um, what we watch, um, so normally if she's watching something, she'll message me and go, hey, and I, and I said to her, don't send me any more series, man, because series I will binge watch to the death. I was like, can't lose that kind of time, man. I can't afford it. <laughs> Uh, yeah, uh, I think at the moment, but uh, I need to unwind, you know. You, you've got a, a busy schedule, you know, when you come home, relax, have a wine, and, and watch a TV series. But, um, now I've been watching that. Um, I, I tried The Serpent out, oh, that yeah. true story about that serial killer, but no, nah, it's a it's bit, it's a bit, it's different, it's a bit slow, it's not like it's a bit boring, actually. So, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'll go to episode three, yeah. Not probably. as fast as uh, why did you kill me? <laughs> Not as fast. I think it should be a it should be one documentary. I think or it should be one movie. But I, I know I am enjoying two. Oh, I'm in, on on Neon. I am enjoying um, Snowfall season four. So that's that's my go to. That's my go to Snowfall <laughs> right now. Yeah. No, I'm reading at the moment. I've I've moved into books. So. <laughs> Are you reading or, or or listening to books? No, I'm re- I find it really hard to listen to books. I, I tried yeah. the audio book. Yeah, I couldn't do it because um, I fall asleep. <laughs> so, oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. So now I have to read, um, depending on what it is as well, I'll read it and then I'll like, I take notes as well. So mm. I find listening to it is a bit hard. But yeah. Yeah, um, no, I went the other way because I, 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 find, I found that I've got no time to read a book anymore. Yeah. It's hard. So I switched to audio books. Yeah. And I was I was pretty reluctant to because I wanted uh, I listen to podcasts and yeah. if I listen to audiobooks they'll take my away yeah. from podcasts but it's it's been good. I've man, I went through like three books in two months, you really? know. Really? Yeah. Just listening to it. No, yeah. on the car, in the car, at work. Yeah. So I'm I'm getting through books real real quickly. Hey, that's the other so thing now. I, I don't drive like I um work from home now, so I don't have to drive into the office. So uh, I have no driving time anymore. I used to, oh, yeah. It used to be an hour commute, and now I don't drive at all. So it's uh, annoying. Yeah. So you can't. You don't have the time to listen to things. You have to make the time to listen to it. Mm. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Thanks for that. Thanks, Ria, for coming on. All good. We'll, we'll do this again. Okay. The next daily <laughs> <early> drama. <laughs> oh, did you guys get any um? Any cricket sounds come through the, um, the no, email? But you know what I did learn? I did learn that they have tutorials on YouTube about how to make the cricket sound. What? So <laughs> they, have, they have tutorials. Um, I watched the tutorial. I can't actually do the sound. Um, so uh, if you want to win the $100 from Sin, because Sin has agreed to pay the $100, uh, go on to YouTube and search up um, how to make the cricket sound with your mouth, and there are quite a few tutorials on how to do it. So if you want an easy hundred bucks, not only five minute tutorials, so you can uh, <laughs> give it a go. Oh, uh, cool! Bucks. All right, right, all right, sweet. So I'm looking forward to the seeing who the winner is. Yeah, I I, I expect to see something up there from you. I'll probably cheat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, have the recorder at the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right, cool. Thanks, Cam. Thank you. Okay, bye. bye.